listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of She Rises. I am your host, Giovanna Capoza, and I want to thank you for being here again and sharing this space and time together. Um, I really do appreciate you coming on every week that we have a show and showing your support, sharing it with friends, and most of all, just being here and listening. Really appreciate that. Today, I want to talk to you all about a topic that is really, really important to me. In fact, I'm writing an entire book about it. In fact, I'm writing two books about it. And for those of you that have been listening on the regular, you know that I'm currently working on my memoir. It's called Lovesick Confessions of a Love Junkie, where I really explore the topic of love addiction, but from a little bit different perspective than what's currently uh, out there right now in terms of love and sex addiction. And looking at it from the perspective of really the void that we try to fill within ourselves and how that manifests and shows up in your life. And so what I've done is I've, I've realized in the researching of my book and just the teasing out of my story, what I've done is I've, I've realized that there is a spectrum of lovesick. And very often the very smart, successful women that I work with won't really acknowledge that they are lovesick. In fact, they're on the far end of the spectrum where they've already sort of written off love or, you know, think they have it handled or are just focusing on their career right now. And that still is a version of lovesick. So when I talk about lovesick, I actually mean the sickness where we are feeling a lack of love somewhere in our lives. And usually the way I see this showing up again with the women I work with is in their relationships or lack thereof. You know, very often, and I'm definitely a culprit of this, this is why I talk about it and why I teach about it, very often when we feel a void within, it is safer to, and more comfortable rather, to fill it from the outside rather than looking at the deep, dark places inside. And so we get to a place where sometimes we just write it off completely, or sometimes we, we are in a relationship and we're actually approaching it still from this place of void filling. So today I want to talk to you about something that I uh, have termed the lovesick spectrum, just to see where you are on that spectrum. And again, this doesn't necessarily uh, have to relate to relationship, although I am going to speak about it in terms of relationship. But you'll see once I explain it that it actually might be manifesting in your life elsewhere. You might find that you're lovesick with your job and it's not filling you up anymore. You might find that you're experiencing in other places in your life. But for the purposes of this conversation, I really, really want to explore this idea of lovesickness um, in the um, spectrum that I discovered and also under the umbrella of addiction because I do talk in my book about the addictive quality. And I want to say, you know, when I first 
was told that I might be addicted to love and the illusion of romantic love and addicted to men. Uh, it was quite a while ago, and it was a shock to me, and there was a lot of shame in that. And in fact, for many of the women I work with, there's a lot of shame in the fact that their relationships are the only area of their life where they don't have their shit handled, right? Like they have, they're great in their career. They've got amazing friendships. They're, you know, everything else is going great in their life. And there's a little bit of shame that they just can't get the relationship thing right. And I know that's something that I experienced um, when I was, you know, quote unquote, diagnosed with, with this particular um, ailment, as it were. And since then, and since going through my own healing around that, and I have to say it's a work in progress, right? We're all a work in progress. But going through massive healing around that and transforming my relationship to myself, my relationship to God, my relationship to my own spirituality, and ultimately my relationship with men um, has, has been huge, huge, huge. So here's the lovesick spectrum. You know, we all start off being born from a place of absolute divine love. You come in a perfect seed. And at some point along the lines, you experience uh, an attachment injury. An attachment injury can look like neglect. It can look like abandonment. It can look like uh, scapegoating or child parenting, right, where there's a role reversal. And that injury can tend to fester. When we open up a cut and we don't heal it and it's left to just continue to, you know, perpetuate, it gets infected and it, it just sort of stays injured. And so this attachment injury that is part of the human condition, I have to say, I don't know one person that hasn't experienced an attachment injury of some kind. In fact, there are studies out there. I remember when I was doing pre-med in school, there are studies out there around children and what happens to the child, the infant rather, stress level just when eye gazing during breastfeeding is interrupted. You all know that when babies are born, they are blind uh, somewhat. And really, they're not completely blind. They can see the distance between nipple to mother's eyes. That's the distance they can see. That creates the further bonding. And we're, we all live busy lives, right? Like I, I know moms who are breastfeeding and cooking at the same time or, you know, wiping little Timmy's butt, right? So it's it's a natural almost way that society has evolved, unfortunately, that there isn't that, you know, beautiful moment of eye gazing. Um, and again, I, I want you all to listen to this from the filter of self-compassion and not of blaming self for any of you moms that are out there going, oh my God, you know, I looked away when I was breastfeeding. But we can't help but have some attachment injuries. And there's some deeper, really spiritual reasons for this that I won't go into for the sake of this podcast. Otherwise, we'll be here for three hours. Um, but eventually, at some point, we experience an attachment injury. And this attachment injury can sometimes fester. And the way that we compensate, and I'm going to speak to little girls here, the way that we compensate little girls that are dressed up as women right now is we'll go into fantasy. So think back to when you were little and think back to your fantasy world, right? And, you know, we can blame Walt Disney. We can blame the fairy tales. We can we can go down that route. But the reality is, is that for people that have suffered and do suffer love sickness or some form of love or romantic love addiction, they've they lived in a fantasy world as a way to cope with uh, unhappiness, attachment injury, and really pain. 
And so this fantasy world for me, oh my gosh, for me, it looked like, you know, someday my prince will come. Of course, I was fantasizing about the princes and the love stories and all of it was just so wonderful. And as I grew up and got older, I that evolved into, you know, Mel Gibson, who, you know, unfortunately now cannot be fantasized about. But, you know, I, I had a crush on Mel Gibson. I had a crush on the Australian guy from the A-team back in the 80s. Yes, I am aging myself, ladies. Um, but, it, it, you know, I started getting these crushes on actors. And so the fantasy progressed and progressed and progressed until I had my first relationship. And what happens when you're lovesick is the fantasy will sometimes get superimposed. In fact, very often it will get superimposed onto your partners. But usually at the point of having your first relationship, you then experience some form of heartache. And now unless you've been married to your high school sweetheart, you know what I'm talking about here. That first relationship is your first experience with heartache and heartbreak. Um, you know, the drama of a relationship, the drama of breaking up. And this is actually when those very early attachment injuries start to rear their ugly head. And we don't know because there's no manual for relationships out there as far as I can tell. And so we don't know. And we allow these unconscious injuries that are now embedded in our nervous system to continue to act and to continue to play out. And these continue a process of going from relationship to relationship to relationship where hopefully we're learning and we're evolving. But when you have this level of attachment injury at your nervous system, what ends up happening is you start to experience some form of this. I lose myself in my relationships. I forget who I am. I make it all about him and all about the relationship and I abandon all the stuff that's important to me. Um, either I get broken up with and I'm devastated and it takes me so long to get over it or I'm the one that does the breaking up because I just can't handle what I've done to myself anymore and so I push the other person away. And both of these two scenarios makes it completely impossible to experience ease and joy and frankly fulfillment in romantic love. And so this is when lovesick happens. This is the addiction. And we go from relationship to relationship to relationship, repeating these same mistakes. Now, here's where the fork in the road happens, because eventually we will make a decision. We will make a decision to start recovery. But recovery looks two different ways. So you'll either hit rock bottom with a relationship or you will decide in and of yourself, that's it, you're done. For me, it happened by hitting rock bottom. I hit completely rock bottom with loss, grief, and devastation in relationship. I hit the point where I literally sat down and I was asking, why does everybody I love keep leaving me? It was such a devastating dark night of the soul. And of, of course, I go into this in more detail in the book and, and how it went down. But I had to hit that rock bottom moment. And that's when I had to realize that I was the common denominator. I was the one at the center of all this drama and all this trauma. And if I didn't start taking back my power in that area, if I didn't get off the drugs, so to speak, if I kept would keep using romantic love and relationships and men as a way to fulfill some missing piece of me, I was just going to keep repeating heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. So it's at this point that women decide to go into recovery. But recovery looks like two different paths. So we can go down the fork of recovery that I did, which is I decided I was going to date myself and date God for a year, which initially you think, well, that's really great, Giovanna. That's healthy. Like, of course, that sounds great. Yes, if it stayed there, that would be awesome. 
Unfortunately, what happens to a lot of women is they go into something that I call manorexia. Manorexia is where you completely shut yourself off from relationship. You completely shut yourself off from experiencing romantic love again. Sure, you might go through the motions of dating and, um, you know, going out on dates. And sure, you might even convince yourself that you want someone else. But for some reason, you've been dating for years and you cannot find the man. And every guy you date, you find an excuse and you find a reason why you're they're not compatible, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. And so you've gone into recovery, but you're really... You know, as they would say in the 12-step AA movement, you've really become a dry drunk, right? You're manorexic. You're denying yourself the very substance you crave, which is love. Now, I want to stop here and say there is nothing wrong with you craving this substance. You know, unlike alcohol or heroin or, you know, even sugar, flour, other substances that we become addicted to, we can remove those substances because we don't need them in our lives, But as human beings, we need love and connection. In fact, it's at our very fabric to not only need it and require it, but desire it. So this strategy of manorexia, it does not last for long. I mean, technically it could last for long, but it doesn't fulfill us because eventually all the things that we use to distract ourselves from what we really want, like diving into our career and becoming a workaholic and, you know, focusing on our kids or whatever it is, eventually we still come up dry. Eventually, we still like, I'm still missing that thing. I'm still craving this thing. And what I see a lot of women doing is either they make themselves wrong for desiring that because some twisted feminine view from back in the bra burning days has planted in their head the seed of, I don't need a man. Well, I hate to break it to you, ladies, but you do. Um, you know, and it's man, woman, whatever, whatever, whatever floats your boat. It doesn't matter. What you need is love and connection. And there's no shame or blame in admitting that. And so from manorexia, once we can admit that, and once we can start doing that inner work, we can move to a place of more of what I would call healthy sobriety around this, right? Like more of a place where your recovery is that you learn to start getting peace around relationships. When you go into a relationship, you're not full of anxiety. How come you didn't call? Why, you know, how come you didn't return my text messages? What's going on? What is he thinking? You start to trust yourself more. You start to trust that you'll make the right decisions. You'll start to trust that you can walk away when it's no good for you. And you'll start to trust that you won't lose yourself again. Not with the right man, not with the right relationship. So that's when we get into a place of healthy um, safety and neutrality and peace around our relationships. And it starts with the relationship to ourselves. So... This is how the spectrum rolls. This is how we go along this path. And for most of the women that work with me, they're in some form of this manorexia. And don't be fooled. You could be in a relationship and still be having so much issues with vulnerability and opening up to your man that you're still really staying in that yang energy and that workaholic don't have time, push, push, push. Every time I talk to my man, it's about work kind of situation. And, and, there's, and there could be still some tension because you're, there's this fear of really opening up and availing yourself to love and really risking for love. And so for those of you listening, I wanted to provide you this spectrum. One, because I'm getting a lot of questions around what exactly I mean by lovesick. And two, because 
this is a real, real opportunity to start to look at some places for deeper healing. Now, if you've followed the spectrum up until this point and you do uh, a backwards rewind and reverse engineer this all, you will see that the healing happens when we go back to the first stage. The healing happens when we not only understand healthy attachment, but we start to heal the attachment injuries that are at the level of the nervous system and at the level of the inner child. And that is where the healing can occur. So again, that's a topic of a whole other podcast. In fact, that's the topic of of the year-long program that I'm developing right now for women. But I wanted to share this with you because I wanted to know, where do you fall on the spectrum? Does this resonate with you? Is this something you can see yourself doing? Maybe you were once stuck in the in the love addict, love sick spiral, relationship after relationship after maybe you were stuck in that part. Maybe you're stuck there now. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how that's impacted you, what decisions you made, how you got out of it. Um And if it is that you're in menorexia right now, right, if you've shut that part of yourself off, I remember when I was experiencing this, I used to say, I I feel dead inside. I wasn't even connected to my femininity, to my sexuality. Um, You know, I could walk by the most gorgeous man in the world and I'd just be like, meh. You know, I put on weight as a form of self-protection. I overworked myself. I really got to the point of burnout um, for the second time in my life because I didn't want to open up. I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to be risk getting hurt again. And if you're at that stage, I'd love to hear from you as well. How has hearing this impacted you? Maybe you're over that stage. Maybe you've met the man or woman or relationship of your dream. And maybe you have steps that you took and how you survived this and thrived. I would love to hear from you as well. And if you are interested in taking this further, if you're interested in exploring your lovesick journey and how it's manifesting in your life today and how possibly you are one of these ambitious go-getting women that come and work with me and you got everything else in your life figured out but you just can't get the relationship part right there is no shame in that and I'm definitely here to have a conversation with you if that is what resonates with you so ladies I hope sharing this bit of my lovesick journey and the lovesick spectrum has helped you see yourself a little bit more clearly. I hope that it's maybe even, you know, shed some light on some areas that you were in some self-blame about. And the biggest reason that I want to share this with you is to shed the light of self-compassion because it is really not our fault that we get lovesick and romantic love addicted. We are fed this stuff from when we are little, little children. And as I have been saying for several years now, it is our job to reparent the child within. And in fact, I'm writing my book for all you women out there that literally are just little girls dressed up as women walking around in your high heels. And there's this little piece of you that is waiting and yearning for your love and your attention. And the other reason is because I really believe that relationships are the key to world peace. And I know that sounds like a big statement and you might be listening going, oh God, get off it, Giovanna. But I believe that because your relationship dynamics and the state of how you relate to other people, especially in intimate relationships, it trickles out into the world. It trickles out into your workplace. It trickles out into the grocery store. And imagine what we would be like, what the world would be like, what impact it would have socially and then globally. 
if we could get our relationships to be beautiful, peaceful, and easeful. Just think about that one. Ladies, I hope this was helpful. And again, if any of this resonated with you, if you just want to even share your experiences, I would love to hear from you. You can comment in the show notes at SheRisesPodcast.com. And if you are interested in deepening this conversation and seeing how working together might actually progress you into a loving, beautiful, peaceful relationship that is not only fulfilling, but joy-filled and exciting, then I'd love to have a conversation. And you can go to Javana.com, or excuse me, JavanaCaposa.com, work with me page, and you can book an appointment directly there. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising everyone. For books and resources related to today's episode, make sure you head over to SheRisesPodcast.com and I'll see you there. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you tune back in next week when I dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be. And hey, if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it, head on over to iTunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show. 